And welcome to Shepherding Talk. My name is Aaron Kimple. Glad to have you with us. This is a place where we discuss all things leadership and shepherding, whether that's in the home, the church, or the community. Today, we're going to be talking about men as a refuge. I'm going to share with you a discussion that I had with my good friend, Jordan Schouse, on that very topic, men as a refuge. You're going to like it. Tonight, we're going to be talking about men as a refuge, and we have my good friend, Jordan Schouse, with us tonight. How are you doing, Jordan? Great, Aaron. Great to be with you, and great to be with you, Down Road Church. Yeah, amen. Um, enjoy the studies we have with you. We just keep pulling you back, but uh, I'm unabashedly, unashamedly doing that. So you do such a great job, Jordan, and appreciate your heart for God and and uh, the way you teach and uh, the care in which you do that. So we're uh, looking forward to tonight. Why don't you give us a quick preview of men as a refuge, what we're going to be talking about, and then we'll uh, jump into it. Absolutely. Uh, and I love every time we're together. It's always a blessing, and it's a blessing to be with you, Down Road Church. Many of us, we've not met each other. Looking forward to the day uh, when we can meet face-to-face and uh, be encouraged by each other. Your blessing to me. Men as a refuge, we're looking at the concept of of refuge in general. What What, what is a refuge? The Bible talks about it a lot. But the picture of a refuge, though given to God and given to Jesus, finds a specific application when we think about our calling as men, our role in the homes, our role uh, in society, but even our role in churches, about what it is we can do to claim that role as a a refuge and a place of safety. And that's what we're going to explore tonight. What does the Bible have to say about a refuge, and how does that translate to our responsibility as men? So needed. I mean, it's it's timeless, this kind of discussion, and it shows the relevancy of the Bible. So, okay. Well, um, if you're with us on Facebook, uh, you can share comments there. Uh, these are pre-recorded, but you can uh, share comments, and we'll do our best to get back and answer those comments. Uh, but if you're with us uh, on YouTube, thanks for joining us, and uh, you know, feel free to share these links with your friends so they can also watch. Um, and these will be archived on the website, dallinroad.com, as well as on our um, YouTube page. And so always go back to these as a reference. So I think we have a lot of good materials there for you to go back and and study and and watch and learn. All right. Why don't you go ahead, my friend, and let's get into it. All right. In Psalm 57 and verse 1, it says, Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. So just to begin, uh, at home, you can think on this and chew on it. When you get the idea of a refuge, what pictures come to your mind? So I think for many, we think of this idea of a shelter, of a a safe place, a stronghold, a a well-fortified dwelling. Uh, But the word refuge implies some things that are dangerous about life. It implies danger. It implies threats. It implies trouble. It it implies harm. You don't travel to a refuge on vacation. You flee to a refuge uh, to seek shelter or to seek protection. One of the the pictures that's recurring about God through Scripture is his description as a refuge. Uh, In Ruth chapter 2, Ruth is commended by Boaz by saying in Ruth 2 and verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full full reward be given uh, you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Uh, That's another similar um, connection is that God is seen as a refuge and it gives this image of this 
mother hen, if you will, or bird or father, protecting her chicks under her wings. And so is providing this shelter, this safety for those who are uh, threatened and receiving harm. Uh, 45 times in the Psalms, God is referred to as a refuge. In um, Psalm 7 and verse 1, O, o Lord my God, in you I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Psalm 17 and verse 7, wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Psalm 31 and verse 2, incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. Can I hear the language? It speaks of the strength of God, the protection he offers, but at the same time, it's speaking of some of the dangers that the people of God have faced along the way. There's an interesting picture that God gave to describe this role of himself among his people when they were to enter into the promised land and to por uh, portion out that land to the different tribes. God set up that there were going to be six cities of refuge for his people. The these cities played a, a crucial role that if someone unintentionally had a hand in the death of someone else, they could flee to these cities in order to find protection. What's fascinating is if you chase these on the map and you find them on the map and you look at their names, the meaning of their names give a rich description of what a shelter truly is. Uh, Kadesh is in the north, and that means a holy, it's a set-apart city. Golan, just south of that to the east, means complete. There's no fractions, there's no cracks, it's not an incomplete wall or city, it is sound. Uh, Ramoth, just south of Golan, means height. It's a high tower. You can't climb over it. It is well fortified. You think of Jericho and those high towering walls. Um, far to the west is Shechem, which means shoulder. And you get that imagery of strong shoulder, strong enough to bear the burdens. Um, or a shoulder that you can rest upon and lean upon, a shoulder of comfort. Uh, Bezer on the east side of the Jordan means a fortress. You get that idea of a strong, fortified place. And then just to the to the west, if you will, of the Dead Sea is Hebron, which means friend. It is a place that draws those near for comfort. Uh, it is drawing those who are needing protection, welcoming, beckoning them in. These cities are described in the book of Numbers and easily in, in Deuteronomy in verse 19. But they're described as cities that were easily accessible. They could go to them whenever they needed them. Uh, the, the way was made known. They weren't secrets among the people of God. And so it was known that they existed. And they were to be respected, that if you were inside the city of refuge, you were to respect those boundaries and not to bring harm inside their, their, their walls. Now, all of this, all this idea of refuge and the picture of refuge and the cities of refuge finds its perfect fulfillment in Jesus, the one who truly was a refuge. Um, you think of how Jesus was described throughout the Gospels in, in Luke 15 and verse 2. Uh, the Pharisees grumbled because he received sinners and ate with them. Now, listen to that language. He received them. They were looking for someone who would hear them, who would find any kind of, of, of welcoming presence, who would offer any kind of peace or consolation. And Jesus received them, received them to himself. In uh, Matthew chapter 9, I think a great picture in Matthew 9, verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And the reason is how he saw them. He saw them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw them as people without a refuge, without protection. Uh, the, the Hebrew writer would use the language speaking of, of Christ and of God. 
He says in verse 18 of chapter 6 of Hebrews that there are two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast the hope set before us. I love that language. We have fled to God for refuge, and that refuge has been given and provided through Jesus. So uh, that's at least the starting place I want us to see is that this idea of a refuge is not new. It's all through the scripture. It's this picture of strength. And and a, a fortified dwelling place that's offered for those who are, are facing difficulties, harms, and threats. So there's those two pictures: a strong place for people who are needing protection, and then those who are receiving harm, and those who are facing hard times along the way. Okay, Aaron, I'm gonna kick it to you just to begin with. I'm I just I'm thinking, wow, honestly, as I'm looking at these six cities of refuge, I've never looked at the the names of them and the meaning. Yeah. Jordan, and, and that is, uh, that is really good. And so if you think about how, how that finds its perfect fulfillment in Jesus, you know, he is mm -hmm. holy. He is complete. He is on the height. He is our, you know, our high tower and, uh, That's he's right. got the shoulders to carry us portraits and a friend. Um, mm. what a, what a beautiful thought, um, I may steal this. I'm just saying, but uh, <laughs> no, but but you know, I'm, I've been thinking about men and, and uh, getting ready to do some stuff about men. And, and if you just think about how, what would you do with those six things? You know, which one would you want to do without? Mm. Yeah, right. I mean, I think about it. If yeah. The reason why Jesus is our perfect refuge is because He's holy. I mean, we wouldn't want to go to an unholy. I mean, we wouldn't go to a refuge where there wasn't a friend. That's so right. yeah, how each one of those is is necessary to the complete idea of the refuge, just phenomenal. And just, I, I think about Jesus, and I appreciate what you said about Luke 15, what they called a complaint against Jesus. I, I can imagine Jesus just saying, thank you. That's exactly what I'm doing, right? <laughs> I, I am glad you noticed. Yeah, I'm glad you noticed. That's exactly what I do. I receive sinners and eat with them. Uh, so uh, if we think about fleeing to him for refuge, um, what a what a beautiful what a beautiful thought because because implied is danger and you know as we're going through the psalms here one one quick comment and then I'll pass it over but you know, as we're going through psalms you know we looked at first the first two psalms the introduction of of, mm -hmm. of psalms and we see blessed is the one who takes refuge in in, in King Jesus at the end of Psalm two and then Psalm three enemies Psalm four enemies Psalm five enemies Psalm six enemies I mean it's just David has problems. Mm -hmm problem after problem after problem and what what you see and my son-in-law pointed this out to me is it, what you see is jesus he's our refuge and all of those psalms are pointing back to the refuge you know mm -hmm. he's our shield he's our refuge and we keep coming back to him and um and so the reality is that's what we're going to go through or we're going mm -hmm. to face these so great thoughts great great thoughts it's powerful you know it, it's kind of like uh kind of forgot where I heard this, but the existence of the word forgiveness is painful because it reminds you, you have something you have to forgive. It, it implies there's some sort of friction or pain that's happened. And the same concept with a refuge, you wouldn't need a refuge unless there was something threatening you, requiring you to flee for that refuge. But yeah, that's the praise to God and glory to God is that we're not left uh, to face these dangers alone. And yeah, it's, it's a, that's a neat thought from Psalms. I like that. Yeah. All right. Uh, so just keep going. All right. Uh, so where it comes to men, how in any sense would this find a, uh, an application to the role of men? 
in what sense are we as men called to be a refuge, a place of protection? Because really, I think when you look at how God is described as a refuge, even Christ as a refuge, you get sort of this, this uh, two-centered purpose. In one sense, it is providing shelter, and in another sense, it's providing safety or security. And so in what sense, as men, are we to be a person, a position of providing uh, shelter and safety? And that takes us to Deuteronomy chapter 24. When you think about through scripture, especially it's, it's, it's heavy in the Old Testament, especially in the prophets. When you think in the Old Testament scriptures about those who are described as the most vulnerable among the people of God, they're described as the fatherless and the widows, those without the man in their lives. Their father has died. The husband has died. The child is without that father figure. Those are the ones who are described as the most vulnerable. In Deuteronomy chapter 24 and in verse 17, it says, You shall not pervert the justice due an alien or an orphan or take the widow's garment and pledge. In verse 19, when you rip your field, you're harvesting your field and have forgotten the sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree, in verse 20, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and for the widow. They were to intentionally, in their work and in their gleaning, bear in mind those who could not provide for themselves and to leave more for those who were in greater need. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 1, when the prophets were bringing their indictment against the people of God, Often justice, the perversion of justice, is tied to those most in need. Isaiah 1 and verse 23, for example, says, Your rulers are rebels, the companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and chases after rewards. They do not defend, notice the language, defend the orphan, nor does a widow's plea come before them, this idea of entering to them, welcomed by them. And so they are not defending, see, refuge defending the orphan. They are not protecting or hearing the widow's plea. Um, and so th there's a statement in the Psalms and Psalm 68, which is God's way of saying, you haven't. And so I will. Psalm 68 and verse five says a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. He makes a home, interesting language, a home for mm -hmm. the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. And so it's almost as if the psalmist is saying, you haven't, God has. God has. And, and the places where Amen. you have failed, God has provided in abundance. And so, I mean, th there's a lot that could be said there, but I think that sort of fits the picture. Those who were most in need were described as those without the absence of a man in the home. And I think there finds a specific application in of thinking of the sense of protection and provision and safety that can do so in the home and the church in our lives with men. Now, I want to illustrate this. I was watching a movie with the kids, watch a lot of Disney movies at home, got three kids. And and this happens all the time. Now, I don't know if it's just because I'm a preacher or just because you you see things through uh, a different lens when you get older. We were watching this movie, and I've seen this movie, I don't even know how many times, so many times. Uh, but this hit me so hard when I was thinking about the study. Um, the movie opens with this large open number, large musical number, and it paints pretty quickly to um, a, a scene of chaos where this gypsy woman has this baby in her breast, and she's running for her life. And this man, whose name is Judge uh, Claude Frollo, is described as someone who's trying to purge the world of vice and sin. 
And so he's chasing after her and she makes her way to Notre Dame, to the cathedral. And she's banging on its door for sanctuary. And it's there the judge catches up with her and kills her on its steps and takes the baby. And upon seeing the hideous nature of this child, he wants to go and to destroy it, but is only stopped when a man of the church comes out and convicts him of what it is he is doing. And he decides to keep the child as, as a slave, not necessarily as a child. But you get this picture. Here's a man who, in protection of his values or in protection of his prejudice or in protection of what it is he thought was right, slaughters an innocent person, an innocent woman. And what gets it is at the end of this opening number, when all this has taken place, there's a question that is asked. And the question is, who is the monster and who is the man? Mm. And that is, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I think the question then to ask about this, in fact, well, one thing that's fascinating, that word sanctuary, in one sense, it means a holy place, a, a, a place that's set apart. But the word in Latin means a place of refuge or a place of protection. So think about that. If one of the cities of refuge, the names of it for Kadesh was holy, the name for sanctuary, when someone's crying sanctuary, they're crying to a holy place for safety and protection. In fact, it was during the Renaissance time when there were people who were fleeing and they could come to a cathedral or to a church building and upon entrance, they would find protection and safety. But here's the question then. Here's the big question that we may not be able to provide answers for each other, but we need to be able to answer for ourselves. What happens, men, when we become a refuge of the wrong things? Here's this judge, and out of protection of his values, of his prejudices, of his traditions, slaughters and innocent. What what happens when we start protecting the wrong things? Uh, What happens when we choose to protect our jobs or our titles or our wealth or ideals or our traditions, all while at the same time, our loved ones, our, our most vulnerable ones, our wives and our children come banging at the doors of our hearts asking for sanctuary. Um, it, it's the question we need to wrestle with. What really defines a monster and what really defines a man? I'll, I'll kick it back to you, Aaron. I love that. I, I'm with you on the, on when watching the movies with the kids. There's so many sermon illustrations that come left and right. And yeah. Uh, yeah, from amazing places like that, like you said, who's the monster, who's the man? You know, I was thinking about becoming the refuge of the wrong things. And, you know, I think you mentioned jobs and title, pride, traditions, wealth. I'm just follow this. But what if I'm harboring sin? Hmm. You know, if we think about yeah. one of the things that many men are holding in their hearts right now is an addiction to pornography. What if we're mm. what if we're a refuge to that? How can we be a refuge? Yeah. Safety to to our wives and children or our mm. community. That's right. You know, so we think about I was thinking about Aiken. I mean he was a refuge to some mm. things he stole from Jericho. That's right. And how that affected right. his family. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, you think maybe of a maybe a, a really good illustration of what this looks like in a broader sense. Remember Luke 7 when Jesus came to Simon's house and here comes this woman and Simon mm-hmm. the whole time is so upset with Jesus. And he is in protection of what he believes to be right and holy and true. 
And yet here's a woman who is showering everything, hospitality and worship on Jesus. He's protecting the wrong things. He's valuing the wrong things. Amen. Amen. Great thoughts. Um, yeah. So just keep going and uh, we'll just keep right. diving in. Well, here's a like here's where the rubber meets the road, right? Because uh, okay. I think we see uh, there's there's obviously a calling here, a calling for us as men uh, from God, which prompts us to question: um, What are ways that we can provide a sense of protection and provision to be a sense of a refuge for those in our lives? And so, I want to just provide a few uh, specific applications for us to think about, to explore together. And again, I, I don't have all the answers to this. Um, I'm still working on a lot of these myself in many ways. And I have a feeling I'll be working on this uh, the rest of my life. But it's worth thinking about, thinking about and chewing on. Uh, this is obviously very important to God. And this is one way that we can fulfill our calling as men. So I want to start with the, the concept of our wives. In what sense can we provide and be a refuge for our wives? Can remember the most vulnerable were described as the orphans and the widows, and so there is something so very real about a sense of safety and protection that exists with the husband-wife relationship. And so, in what way can we be a refuge, a sense of of safety and uh, protection or provision for our wives? I, I'd say maybe to begin, uh, I really like the statement from Proverbs thirty-one and verse eleven that the heart of her husband trusts in her. Um, that he trusts in her. He trusts in her ambitions. He trusts in her choices. He trusts in her heart and in her character. There's no suspicion. There's no judgment that she can be who it is that she is when she is home. There, there's a sense of openness and vulnerability, uh, knowing that the husband will not take advantage of anything that is done in private. Uh, there are times when our wives come home and they need to completely be them and to and to vent whatever's on their heart, to express whatever it is that is, is laying before them. And there's a sense of trust that the wife can has in, have in the husband, that whatever it is that she needs to say or express or feel, he trusts in her and she trusts in him. He's not going to take advantage of those vulnerable moments. He is a place of safety. You can say whatever is on your mind. You can vent whatever it is that you were feeling, and it stays here, locked in here. You can trust in me. Uh, I think of the statement that Paul used to illustrate the relationship of Christ and the church in Ephesians chapter 5, when he says in verse 28, uh, husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. So think about that. We we take care of our flesh. We We provide for it. We protect it from sickness and from harm. And so in one sense, would that translate to the marriage relationship? I, I think in one sense, there is protection we, we give to our wives. There's an outward protection that we can provide from criticism uh, that we stop those who want to say anything against our wives. Uh, any kind of negative word, we're not going to certainly, we're not going to take a, a part in that. If anyone wants to say anything negative, that's the last thing uh, husbands are going to do is to say any negative word publicly about their wife um, to any person. But even receiving it, that the husband can be such a quick response to those who are going to provide criticism to shut that down and to make sure that that he's going to stand up for her and her reputation and her name. But there's also an inward protection that we can provide for our wives, uh, protecting her against any self-doubt she may have about herself, about her worth, her talents, her beauty. Um, I, I read this week a quote that says, a man that has a true friend has no need for a mirror. And I love that. And I, and I think that's so true, even more so in a marriage. You know, women are so often questioning uh, a lot about themselves, their worth, their value, their beauty, inwardly and outwardly. And husbands, we can provide that for them, that, that you never have to wonder about uh, your, your worth, 
about how I see you, about how valuable and special you are, uh, because of the way I'm going to be showering it, showering it on you, the compliments, the praise, the uh, the admiration. I love the language here that Paul says of cherishing, cherishing your wives. Mm -hmm. And she never has to wonder what her husband thinks about her and what he feels about her. And the, the love and adoration is just reaffirmed all the time before her. That, that's a way we can be a sense of protection to her. Um, I would say just one more maybe to, to keep in mind that that statement from 1 Peter 3 and verse 7 about understanding the precious um, quality of our wives, that they are that they are to be understood. He says, live with them in an understanding way as a weaker vessel. Uh, since she is a woman, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. And so just understanding, understanding my my woman and understanding her her mind. Her emotions, her desires, her feelings, her heart, giving careful thought and consideration to her, uh, listening to her, giving an open, open, uh, my open ears and attention to her. Those are all different ways I can provide protection and care for her. Uh, for our children, I would say for children, uh, there's a lot of different ways we can provide protection for our children. Uh, one we may not think about often is James 1, 29, to be quick to hear, uh, quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. Um, to hear the side of our children and to trust in them, that when they come with a story, uh, to not be suspicious. Are you telling me the truth that we need to go seek someone else's side? If they come and, and our children have proven themselves to be trustworthy, I'm going to trust my child and, and stand up for them and to stand on their side. That would mean so much to our children if when they come with an issue and they bring it to dad, for dad not to be suspicious of them. Uh, if they've proven their worth and they've proven they've proven their trustworthiness, to believe them and to take their side of the story and to believe them as innocent until proven guilty and, and to and to hear them out. Uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 4 is a great uh, reminder, dads, that we are not to provoke our children to anger, uh, to not be a source of strife or anxiety in a child's heart or in their life. And so we're not mean dads. We don't kid meanly. We don't poke fun at them and who they are along the way. I know they're, they're silly jesting. They're silly kidding we can do along the way, but a lot of the guys go too far. We're not going to be neglectful. We're going to be kind. We're going to be considerate. We're going to be consistent in the way that we are we're engaging with our children. I think we can be a source of protection in the words that we say. Proverbs 1 and verse 8 and 9 talks about the words, the wise words of a father and a mother that are hung like, like jewelry around the children's neck. In other words, the words of dad are safe and secure. We don't always get it right. right? We're, we don't always know all the answers, but more often than not, our words are sound. Our words are sound and secure. They know that if we say something and we give them wisdom, that it's going to be wisdom from the word of God and that they can trust in it. Dad knows what he's talking about. I can trust in what dad is saying. Um, and then obviously, I think one of the favorite pictures is Luke 15. Uh, we're going to be a dad who, when our children our children fail, that they can come home. Uh, this dad was good. This dad was loving. This dad was gracious. And this dad was safe. When the son came home, he found a warm embrace. And our children need to know, and those times in which they fail, they can come home. And what they find with dad is someone who is loving, someone who is understanding, someone who is safe. You are safe with when you were with dad. That's what we want. I don't have to run from dad and fear dad. Dad is safe. Dad is a safe place. Dad has rules. Dad has expectations. And that's one way we can be a shelter is to provide them from, from dangerous paths. That's Proverbs. That's all the Proverbs. Listen to me so you don't go that way, so you don't follow that path. But dad is not someone to be feared. Dad is a safe place. You respect dad and you respect his words. 
But you know that when you have a dad, a dad like that, Luke 15, that you can always come home and find that love and protection along the way. And I'll give one more and I'm going to kick it to Aaron. When you think about the church and the protection that shepherds can provide, especially to a local congregation, there's just a lot of thoughts we can give here. I, I think of, of Acts chapter 20, when Paul was talking to the elders at Ephesus, and how he told them in verse 28, to be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which is purchased with his own blood. Shepherds are on the watch. They're on the watch for false teachings. They're on the watch for dangerous influences. They are on the watch for, for sheep who are wandering, for sheep who are getting into um, either attitudes or ways of the world and are pulling them away from Christ. They are on the watch. And so sheep can feel safe and can trust that the shepherds are diligent to watch over their souls and to watch over their families. That's one thing. We want to provide a sense of safety for the congregation. You know your shepherds are watching. Sometimes that can seem a bit like, wow, that they are really paying close attention to my life. I missed on Wednesday, and they're calling me on Thursday. Uh, they've not seen me in a while, and they're texting me. They're, they want to know what's going on in my life. But that really is a sense of safety. These shepherds are not sitting back. These shepherds are not indifferent to what's going on. I'm conveying a sense of safety by showing you that we are watching over this flock. Titus 1 is another good example. Titus 1, 10 and 11 speaks about as soon as it finishes the qualifications of elders, it talks about silencing the voice of those who are going to bring strife in the congregation. And so the sheep need to know and they need to trust that anyone who's going to cause trouble, anyone who's going to be involved in spreading any kind of strife, any kind of rude or bitterness, bitterness, any kind of false teaching, it will be silenced and it will be stopped. Um, that they're not going to allow an environment of hostility in the midst of the congregation. And the sheep need to trust that. The shepherds will handle it. They will silence the false voice. And then, of course, Ezekiel chapter 34, that beautiful picture. It's actually a painful picture, but it paints mm. what ought to be, what ought to exist in, in the heart of shepherds. Um, in verse 4, it talks about strengthening the weak, binding the broken, pursuing the lost. That these shepherds are not too busy with their own business affairs. That they are, they're going to have compassion in order to, to take care of the people. And so these sheep need to know, when I'm broken, I can bring my cares to the shepherds. When I'm struggling, I can bring my cares to the shepherds. When our marriage is in trouble, when I have issues with a child at home, when I'm struggling spiritually, I know I can go to the shepherds. And they're not going to, they're not going to beat me up. I don't have to fear them. Again, I can trust them. The shepherds are a safe place, and they help me to be safe. They have my best interest at mind, uh, at heart. I know that when I go to them, that they're going to help me try to be more and more like Jesus. That's what we want to convey, the sense of safety. I'm safe because of these, these shepherds. All right, Aaron, picking at you. Okay. Again, just great thoughts. Yeah. I'm great. Circling back here to what you said uh, early on is God says, if you don't do it, I will. Mm. And that's what we've seen in Ezekiel 34, yeah. right? That's right. If you don't do it, I'm going to be the shepherd. And hmm. uh, so we see a, you know, telescoping out of Jesus, you know, there's a plan there for Jesus to come. God, I'll be, the, I'll yeah. bind them. I'll, I'll heal them. I'll, I'll comfort them. I'll be the shepherd that I wanted you to be. You know, as, as we think about um, just the basic fundamental purpose of why God created man. Hmm. You know, it's one of the things that I'll be talking about with this, you know, when I'm doing this thing for men <clears throat> on reclaiming biblical manhood is, when it hit me that God put man in the garden to tend and keep it, and I can tell you for a long time, growing up, listening that, hear that thought, even preaching it, you know, I'm thinking of him as a gardener. 
<laughs> and then I don't realize that the same word for 10 is guard mm -hmm. or keep. I should say keep is guard. That's right. And, That's right. and, and that what he was supposed to do, the most fundamental purpose it was mm -hmm. to do is to guard the garden, especially from Satan mm -hmm. and protect his wife. Mm -hmm. And then we see that when she had fallen, he's right there. He's with her as she's eating and she gives to him and he eats. And then yeah. God, God, what's interesting to me through that, which I know you're familiar with this, uh, Jordan, is he calls out to the man. Yes. He, he calls out to the man and says, where are you? He, he speaks right. to the man. And then he drove out the man. You know? That's right. And, and he right. put a they put a cherubim, same word to guard. What he mm. was to do was to keep same word. He put it. He said, "Okay, if you won't do it, I, I will." Mm. And that just coming first full circle to what you had said through this is, wow. um, I'm I'm going to do what I wanted you to do, what I expect you to do. And so as we think about our fundamental, I mean, I noticed you didn't say anything about you know how important it is to get our kids in sports or our kids and activities or, <laughs> you know, make sure that they have the right yeah. letters behind their name in the right career and they go to like the right school. I mean, what right. you're talking about is the most basic fundamental thing that God has always wanted a man to do it is distinctly, right. it is distinctly male. I know we have a hard mm. time in our society defining that, but that is distinctly male. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I maybe just kind of blending in with that. So there, there's all these thoughts then interwoven that kind of connect with this because there's there's inward inwardly right the inward thoughts and emotions and feelings of my wife and my children and a church um, and I am I a safe place from doubts from fears from anxieties from self depreciation uh, do I encourage godly thinking godly thoughts and of course that's woven into am I teaching the word of God am I living the word of God am I providing that in their lives that's protection I'm offering. But there's an element, and and you know, I think it kind of goes, and maybe that's why we didn't bring it up already. This outward protection then of dangerous influences. There's Adam, and he is to protect this garden, and and in many ways that same calling. And and I think you, you you've made this paint, uh, point beautifully. Is is still alive today uh, from the worldly influences, from from Satan, and any way he's going to try and infiltrate uh, my marriage, my home, this church, and any way that he can do it. He will use brethren. He will use the world. He, I mean, am I aware of my responsibility as a man to protect inwardly, but also to protect outwardly? Yeah. And it's just so it's so many places. I mean, he talks to the men in First Timothy 2. As mm. we think about lifting up holy hands without wrath, without mm. doubting, as we're protecting the church, protecting our family. We must first of all guard our own citadel. You know, that's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. That that's right. Well, and those are some questions, right? Like personal questions are: when I think about myself and my role as a protector, do I explode in anger? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Do I push the limits in my speech? Uh, do I cross the line with kidding? Do I offer any grace for failings, realizing that I fail along the way? Uh, do I speak or interrupt without giving others a chance to speak freely? Uh, do I do I invite opportunities for others to learn the grow? I mean, there, there's so many questions here. Personally, I need to be asking myself as a refuge before I even think about the applications of providing it to others. Yeah. Well, do you have? I mean, if, if you, do you have further material? Because like, two, like a very small concluding point. <laughs> well, the reason why is because I'm thinking about those questions you asked, and, and hmm. I would like to just look at some of those. 
for a few minutes. Hmm. Yeah. So just yeah. let's just pick at some of those and just go through them because if we think about how does the how does this practically you know we've already talked about some practical things but yeah um, let's talk about uh, you you mentioned one do I explode in anger hmm. right the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God That's right um you know I was thinking of how does that how does that show that I'm a refuge or not a refuge how I mm -hmm. deal with my anger. Mm -hmm. Is that yeah, there's some who have to walk to so life. gingerly on that right at home that they have to walk so finely around dad because they know just the right thing is going to set him off. That's not a safe place. It's not a safe place. You know, um, the, the Bible says a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. Yeah. Right. And so if we think about our kids. You know, if if I'm if I have pushed them away because of my anger and they're afraid to talk. Then I have missed, again, the basic fundamental um purpose of man <laughs> right so yeah so we think yeah. about our anger and so if how are we doing with that so if you listen this night like you know what uh, do my kids tell me dad i don't feel safe talking to you or dad i'm afraid of you dad i i, I want to tell you this but i'm scared do we hear those things or if we hear our wife saying you know honey they're scared of you that those should be key things you know, we don't brush that off and say, oh, it's their fault, right? Some guys are like, ah, it's everyone else's fault. You guys are just sensitive, right? They're, yeah. You're just oversensitive. You guys just take, you know, uh, read too much into what I said. Well, if everyone's getting hurt by what you said, you might want to realize that it's your anger, not them, and how they respond. Well, you know, closely related to that, you may not hear someone say, they're they're afraid of you or you, uh, you get angry too often. What you might consider then is how often – do the people in my home have the opportunity to say whatever's on their heart without mm -hmm. any interruptions, without any explanations? Because that lengthen it and, and that James 129 be quick to speak or a quick, quick, quick to listen, slow to speak, quick to, mm -hmm. to listen, slow to anger, how that relationship is. Um, but that but that's that link, right? Do do I even let them speak without me jumping in and answering everything? Do they have the freedom to be able to express their hearts knowing that dad's not going to to jump the gun at them. Does my wife have the ability to speak her mind and to say whatever's on her mind without the fear of me exploding or having something to say about everything she has to say? I mean, that's, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And going along with this. Okay. So do I, do I respond in a way that, okay, maybe I'm not blowing my stack, but if, but if I'm minimizing, mm -hmm. what they're saying, making that's fun right. of it, saying, well, that's ridiculous. So why do you feel that way? Right. That's right. Then it's like, well, what I said wasn't important or valued. And so why am I going to go to them again? I'll go to my friends because they listen. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's right. That's so right. We're pushing them into the into the arms of people that we don't, you know, later we're going to be upset yeah. that they're friends of them, but we've done that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Good and then even a local congregation, if uh, if the sheep go to the shepherds and they, feel, they, they never really listen to me. I mean, they, mm -hmm. they may give me a chance to speak it, but it's obvious they just give me a passing glance and then they just do whatever it is they want to do. That, that That's going to drive sheep away from a local congregation. Uh, the, the shepherds are giving a conveyance that we want to hear you. We want to hear what's on your heart and, and, and know you and understand you because we care for you. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Okay. Um, so as we think about, uh, that's one of the aspects I'm going to talk about on that reclaiming biblical manhood is, is am I, mm. uh, Am I a first? Well, there's an old discussion there about being the first Adam or, or the last Adam. So, am I going to be like the first uh, man or the last Adam, Jesus? And one of the ways is anger. 
Yes. But so as we think about refuge, okay, so let's look at one of those other questions you had. And that, okay. that, that was a really good question. Uh, do we offer any grace over the failings of those we love? Okay. So do we offer any grace uh, for the failings of those we love? You know, one of the things you pointed out is about the prodigal son, which we call him mm -hmm. prodigal son, but in Luke 15, which is a parable. Mm -hmm. I remember your dad preached so many sermons on Luke 15. <laughs> I remember right. like, man, he's always back in the prodigal son. What is up with that? Now I understand why. Now I he's the only why. guy who has a, a 20 part series on yeah. <laughs> you know, like 10 verses. <laughs> yeah, we had actually, I had him come in, uh, in Ohio to do a, a four lesson series on the prodigal son. So it was really good. So that was a long time ago, but that's so good. But but as we think about what is the son did run away from home, but mm. when he was in his worst moment, just to reiterate yeah. what he said, what was yeah. his thought about dad? Mm. That's right. Okay, and he's like, okay, I'm going to dad. Mm -hmm. So our question for us is, are our kids saying that? That's right. That's right. You know, even you think the uh, the Old Testament cities of refuge, the people who needed to flee there, even though they didn't intentionally murder someone, uh, unintentionally, they'd still taken the person's life. But what they found going to those cities was grace. They weren't judged. There's no execution of a judgment there. They could be there and be in mm -hmm. safety. And so the very existence of those cities was this this picture of here's grace, grace to you who who did something that was not good. Uh, even if it's un unintentionally, you still had a hand in taking someone's life. And so here is God then as his refuge for his people. And yes, in one sense, that's fleeing from, from harm from the world. But what if we looked at that in terms of our own sin and failures? Can we find forgiveness in God? Would we even think to run to God in light of our own failures to, to, to seek shelter yes. from, from our mistakes? Yeah. And G of course, Jesus, who welcomed the, the sinners in Luke 15. But I love, I love how you picked on it. Okay, dads, husbands. Shepherds, what's what's that look like? Mm -hmm. So, going going along with that, I mean, again, our, our wives is as uh, yeah. and it could be our brethren, whoever. That um, how do we treat our wives when they make a mistake? Yeah, and our wives will have a story to tell about that, right? And so, how do we how do we treat them? And so, what I I guess what I'd like to talk about for a moment or two, Jordan, is yeah, why do we? Why do we not show grace? Mm. What's what's broken in us mm -hmm. where we're not showing the grace we need to others, to our wife and our kids and others around us? Um, there's it's there's something else within us. I mean, what's making us like the older brother of that prodigal son, son story? That's right. We're on the outside right. of the house. We won't go in. So I guess I was, you know, your thoughts on what's what's going on with us mm. that's prohibiting us or or causing a stumbling block to us offering grace to others you know that there, there's so much there that, that could be i think you, you mentioned one of them there may be something in, in me that's not right and it's reflecting itself on those who love you go back to that passage mm -hmm. in, in luke 7 with jesus and simon and jesus made it clear he who loves little forgives little that's right um and so it could be that maybe i there's, there's something about me and how i see myself and my stance before god that's just not not right it's not it's not pure it's not seeing it the way that god sees it through his word there's also, I've heard it before, and it, it's happened with, with some, that dad or husband will be a lot more kind and a lot more gracious to other people than he is to yes. his own home. Yes. And maybe that's just 
unfair, unrealistic expectations of our own home, that we expect perfection out of them, but allow grace towards the feelings of others. And that's just, um, it's, it's so backwards um, that if there's mm-hmm. anyone who ought to it have the backwards. most grace, it is, it ought to be, it ought to be our own home. I, you just, you just, you get the picture, right? And I think Luke 15 is just such the perfect model. Um, when our children fail or when our wives fail uh, and they will, what is it that's going to help them to to be who it is they need to be from this browbeating them, reminding them constantly, um, placing conditions on them in order to get back to earn our favor? Or is it a husband, a father that welcomes them with love and understanding and tries to help them back on the right path? I mean, that's, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And so they're very good. And, and if we just keep going down that line, uh, go back to Luke 7 yeah. uh, and just thinking about um, Simon and and what he failed to see about himself. Yes. And sometimes we fail to see the 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 log in our eyes while we're mm-hmm. trying to get, you know, specks of dust out of someone else. But Simon didn't see himself and he didn't see the woman. And I think, first of all, he didn't see himself, which prohibited him from seeing the woman. Because the question Jesus asked, I love the question, do you see yeah. this woman? That's right. You no. Know? And and so, you know, if you think about Jesus is calling his attention to this woman but he has to help simon see himself and so i think for us is to recognize you know remind us that we were also foolish you know titus three mm-hmm. remind ourselves mm-hmm. that we were also disobedient remind ourselves of the grace we received we we have been forgiven ten thousand talents by mm-hmm. uh by our master and we're holding our hands around the throat of someone who owes us you know a few months wages matthew 18 are we applying that to our marriage Uh, And so as we, uh, you know, sometimes maybe we we don't see ourselves like God sees us, like maybe we don't see the faults that we've been forgiven of. We don't need to be reminded of that. But then I also, another aspect of it is maybe we see it too much. I want to go to another direction. Mm. And we're so overwhelmed by guilt. We haven't received the grace of God. We Mm. haven't received the grace of God. We don't give it to others. I think there's another aspect, dads, of... Are you receiving the grace of God uh, mm. in your own life? Because if you're not receiving the grace, the grace of God, I mean, we're uh, Romans 15. I was thinking about how we receive one another as Christ received us. Mm. Well, do you realize yes. Christ has received you? Oh, that's good. Or, you know, I was, I was kind of thinking as you were going through that, that Hebrews pa- um, 12 passage about strengthening the weak knees and, mm. and, and the feeble. Of course, that applies in a, in a brethren situation, a church kind of context, but but even in the home. Right. The goal of this, the goal of someone who has failed and they've come to you, obviously, is not to uh, destroy them. Um, that, that's the whole point of the prodigal coming home was that he came home. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't stay in a far country. And uh, and so I think if we if we follow that idea that the the point of a refuge of someone coming to refuge is to find protection and to find safety. And men, if that is our calling, then our goal is to provide a sense of safety, protection and grace and strength for our children and our wives. So long as we live, so long yeah. as we live and same for Shepherd's and Church. We didn't talk about the church, but that, I think that's the same kind of yeah. same kind of understanding there. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, just another thought that came to mind is. Hmm. Um, I was thinking about David and mm. when he sins with Bathsheba and kills Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, that's in second Samuel 11. If you haven't read that, or if you'd like to look that up, mm-hmm. you know, second Samuel 11. Um, and then I wasn't talking to Jordan. I was talking. <laughs> I know you've read that, <laughs> but if you're, Good if you're listening to this, 
yeah. If you've listened, <laughs> if you've listened, listening to this, and you've never heard of David and Bathsheba, go read it in Second Samuel eleven. But King David had stolen a man's wife and then killed her husband. Um, and here was this righteous man, you know, a man after God's own heart, and he's in a pit. And one of the things that I think about in chapter twelve is when Nathan the prophet comes to him and he tells him the story about this man who stole it, you know, one poor man's sheep, the rich man stole the poor man's lamb. Yeah. And how David was so clear in what needed to be done. Mm-hmm. In really an insignificant thing comparative to what he did. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, was, I was kind of thinking maybe you're going to one, one step further from that when when his son um, Absalom flees and then comes home and David did not go mm. to him. Uh, Dad, yes. you read that and it ought to just jump off the page. Go to him. Go to that room. Go That's to his it. house. You're yelling at I mean, it. Yeah. Five years oh, he didn't man, talk to dude. Absalom. Yes, yes. He was not a refuge for his children. No, no. And, um, and you know, is it because of his overwhelming guilt for what he did? I don't know. You know, we can debate it or wonder that. But, yeah, he, he didn't go out to his son. And, um, and so I just think sometimes when we're harboring sin in our life like he was, we, we can be very judgmental of others and he he knew the sentence for that for that that rich man and what he did for stealing that sheep and he had just like here's what needs to be done bah, 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 bah. no mercy he, he deserves to die yes and nathan turns around you are the man and so as i think about <laughs> if if i'm if i'm a refuge for the wrong things going back to what you said earlier it's going to be hard for me to be sensitive toward the the failings of others yeah we have to we have to remember well, and, and I think you made the point, I don't remember when it was, it wasn't um, all that long ago that um, really the only way we can truly be that refuge for our wives or kids or even the church is when we have sought the true refuge. Because ultimately, mm. um, the greatest refuge we can bring in our in the failings, the grace, is to bring them to back to the rock. And I can't bring them if I'm not there. Amen. That's right. Good point. Okay, well, why don't we close this out uh, and uh, give your final comments and wrap this up and then we'll have a prayer. Well, I, so concluding thoughts I have um, for for any uh, anyone who's listening, uh, maybe, maybe kind of twofold, just kind of, I, I wanted to provide some encouragement because it may be right now that in your home, you don't have this. Uh, it may be that your um, your husband or your father's are not the refuges they ought to be. And uh, my heart breaks for you mm-hmm. and, and I mourn for you, uh, but that doesn't mean that they can't grow and that they can't change. Uh, certainly we, we, we pray and that, that passage in first Peter reminds us of the power of those who just seek to provide the right example, who continue to walk with the Lord, even when things are not ideal at home and God, God can change hearts. God can change lives. And so uh, continue to pray for your, for your man. Uh, for your father, for your husband, and provide that good example, and uh, and point him back to the Word of God. Maybe some of these words will help um, correct him and, and and point him in the right direction. For those who are men, uh, I hope this doesn't come across too too harsh, uh, because I'm right there mm. with you. And if you feel discouraged mm. over part of this, I do too, <laughs> uh, mm. because there's a lot of this I've realized I've I've dropped the ball on, and and I've 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 failed to say to say it honestly. There are times I needed to be a far greater protection for my own family. In fact, as as a preacher, one of the things I realize I struggle so often is trying to be a refuge for uh, the brotherhood oftentimes leads you uh, nothing at home, absent at home. Yeah. And you can try and protect everyone uh, while not protecting those who, who need it the most. 
And so I would just say this, uh, pl please don't be discouraged. This is meant to be an encouragement. You have everything you need from the word of God and how God made you to be exactly what you need to be at home for your wife and for your children. And so uh, I would just say, take this as a, a strong and a great encouragement that you're doing a good work. You're doing a great work. Um, there's not a greater work than being a father or a husband or shepherds in the kingdom, helping God's people. And so just uh, from Psalm 46 and verse one, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Uh, find men, find your refuge in God and let God be your refuge. And when you have sought him and built your life under the strong tower that is God, uh, all you must need to do is just lead your family there. Amen. Amen. And, you know, just, yeah, absolutely appreciate the thoughts because we we don't want this to be discouraging and, and uh, we want this to be encouraging. But as we, you know, think about, continue to think about that, Jordan, you know, guys, if, if you're listening to this and thinking, um, man, I, I want to do that and I haven't done that. Well, first of all, God is your refuge and he wants you to Amen. come home. And and he's Amen. like, I'll forgive you. And, and our kids, yeah. they're amazing forgivers. They really are. They are. Our wives. You know, if we just look them in the eye, which this shows, I think, the spirit of, of what God wants in us is not perfection, right. not flawless sinless. We get it all right. But to be able to look in someone's eyes and say, I have not been the refuge that you needed. I haven't been a safe place for you. And things are going to change. And uh, and I'm working on that. You know, however we say that. And of course, you know, words have to match the action. But, right. but I mean, when I've had those conversations with my kids or my wife, uh, those have gone well. Because, yeah. I mean, part of being a safe place it's having someone who's willing to admit that they're wrong. That's right. That's right. And it's hard. That's hard to do. It sure is. It sure is. <laughs> but it, but you build intimacy uh, when you, when you're willing to say to someone, I was, I was wrong and uh, right. I haven't done my part as, as God's man. And uh, I, things are going to change. And so when we do that, we do, we, we, we build the intimacy and we're, and then they start to feel safe because um, if they recognize I'm willing to admit my faults, then they realize they're free to admit theirs and we can share that together. Yeah. Great, great thoughts. Very good. Thanks brother. Oh, thank you, man. You have encouraged me tonight and, uh, thank you everyone for watching and listening. And, uh, we're, we're going to have to yank, uh, uh, Jordan over here again to do one of these Monday nights with us. So we'll just keep you on a perpetual loop. You're such an encouragement, brother. Ah, uh, looking forward to it. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. You're just a blessing to me. Oh, thank you. Appreciate our friendship. Let's uh, let's have a word of prayer. Would you lead us in that prayer? And then we'll close. Be glad to. Thank you. Our wonderful and our great God, our strong tower and our place of refuge. We are so, so thankful for you. You are everything that we need. You are our place of safety and protection and provision. You offer us grace upon grace and the ways that we have failed. We ask for forgiveness in ways that, as men, we have not been what we need to be in our homes, in our churches. Uh, but, Father, we, we ask that we leave from a study like this encouraged, that we have seen through your word what it is that we can be as holy men who are strong, who seek the high path, who can be friends, a place of shelter and safety and protection for those we love the most, to those you have entrusted to us in our lives. Uh, give us a renewed vigor and zeal to be the husbands and fathers and leaders, either um, shepherds in a congregation or informal leaders in a congregation, to just be a place of safety, 
to provide the protection that you have provided to us, uh, to care for those you have placed in our lives, to be people who are safe, safe refuges from the storms we face around us. We're so thankful you have shown this to us in, in your word, and we are so thankful for the perfect shelter we have in Jesus. Uh, gracious Father, call us back. Call us back in our failures to find our safety and our refuge in you. Keep running to your shelter, to your shoulders. Thank you for this time of study. Bless the good church at Dallin Road and Aaron and all the workers there. And bless us in our, in our walk, Father. Help us to keep on striving more and more towards a perfect picture of your son. Praise to you in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. So glad to have you with us. Have any questions, you can email me at Aaron, that's A-A-Ron, at shepherdingtalk.com. Thanks and have a great day.